This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. You know, going through the process of trying to conceive, being pregnant, giving birth, and having a little one or two can be really challenging. And for most people, there are some hiccups along the way. For some people, it can be really difficult. But I've been really wanting to understand more about what happens for people who are already dealing with a chronic medical condition and then going through this process. And just kind of understand some of the more psychological and wellness underpinnings of what might be happening for someone because it can complicate the process. We're going to be talking today about some of the unique dynamics that someone might face during pregnancy, conception and postpartum, and also some of the common misconceptions. What happens for people during this time and what might they be dealing with in a way that we don't see or we can't see if we don't ourselves have a chronic medical condition? Our guest today, Jenna Daly, is a clinical social worker with certification in perinatal mental health, working in private practice in Southern Maine. She primarily works in perinatal and parental mental health, as well as perinatal loss and grief. Her interest in perinatal and parental mental health was fostered by her work as an oncology social worker at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, with its focus on cognitive, existential, and motivational approaches. She's an advocate for and promotes articles and other information regarding perinatal mental health and all aspects of parenting. So let's meet Jenna. Welcome, Jenna. Thank you so much for being on with us. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. And yes, I'm excited you're here too. I've really been thinking a lot about how, you know, perinatal mental health in general, but what happens when someone has a medical condition that they're also dealing with and just really interested to kind of understand how that could impact someone and what things we should be paying attention to in terms of mental health and all of that stuff. So yeah, we're going to dig into all of that today. And yeah, I'd love to hear about that. What do you think are some of the unique challenges or dynamics for mothers with medical conditions? 
Well, I think there's two different aspects of this. I mean, there's actually also some concerns related to fertility, depending on the medical condition. So by the time a person has gotten to pregnancy, they may have already been struggling with issues related to fertility. Absolutely, right. So something, and as well as loss. That's not necessarily statistically an increase, but you know, some medical conditions do kind of get in the way. And also, it's recommended for especially autoimmune issues like ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, I believe also rheumatoid arthritis. For some conditions, you want your symptoms to be stable, to be well-managed, and to be in sort of a remission period. And so there's waiting to mm-hmm. be able to get pregnant to do that. So that's actually, I said there's two places, but that was one right before. So then the next phase would be managing chronic illness and pregnancy itself. And then secondary to that is the postpartum period and managing chronic illness and potentially maybe other children as well. So you've got your health, you've got the baby's health. In the pregnancy part, One of the things that I notice in my practice, and in my practice, I work with people who have some more commonly known chronic conditions, things that I've mentioned, like ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, sometimes with ostomy, the IBS, diabetes. And then I also work with some people who have some unusual medical conditions. So they have slightly different, everybody has a slightly different impact to their pregnancy. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I notice is that, and this is actually kind of a strength, is that many people have already learned how to advocate for themselves in the medical environment. So oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that in. That did not enter my mind, but that makes so much sense. Right. They've already learned that like, sometimes you can't rely on your memory. They've already kind of gotten a sense of like, okay, you can't rely on people to necessarily call you back scheduling wise. And they sometimes, actually often, have a plan for managing multiple specialists, Mm. which is one of the issues that comes up. So I mentioned before we spoke about regulatory fit, which I think is a really important aspect of how people handle dealing with a lot of medical providers in pregnancy that one regulatory fit is called preventive. That's where you are really looking to kind of cross every T, dot every I. You want to feel as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. And the other one is promotion, which is making sure that you're like in the most cutting edge. You feel like they're doing the most advanced work possible. And so- This is something that a person who has a medical condition would be looking for. Well, they themselves would have, and if they know what their regulatory focus is, if they're working with like a clinician who can help them figure that out, Mm -hmm. then they have a better sense of whether or not they're going to connect with providers and how to explain to providers what they need. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I can take a step back. So people who are having chronic conditions, I'm just putting the timeline together in my head. So they've been oftentimes interfacing with the medical system and providers for quite some time, or at least Mm -hmm. long enough to know what works for them and what doesn't and what to expect and what not to expect Mm -hmm. on some level. Then going through either getting pregnant or trying to get pregnant, there could be additional medical issues or complications related to their medical diagnosis that have already been dealing with. Mm -hmm. They could already have a team in place Mm -hmm. by that. Exactly. Okay. And 
for some people, that team needs to shift based on the birthing location. And if you live in a small city or in a rural area, I live in a small city, there aren't that many options for birthing locations. Oh, sure. So an example, when I was talking about the promotion and the prevention, if you are a promotion person, you're more likely to be looking for a birthing location that has like a cutting edge pain management, progressive use of complementary medicines, medical staff who are doing research on childbirth outcomes. If you are a prevention person, you're more likely to be looking for a place that has low medical intervention rates, strong reputation in the community, access to integrated services, or even access to a NICU. And those might be the same place, but if you are told you have to have a baby here because they feel it's the safest place for you, but you're looking for something else, hmm. doesn't feel as comfortable. So okay. the limitation on where you can have the baby or what mm-hmm. kinds of services are available can be disempowering. Right. And this would be being dictated in part by the medical system or medical <laughs> providers. Exactly. Uh So like in a city where I live, there's only one NICU here, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So I was reading a study in 2014, and they said that it's a German study, but they talked about that the rates of premature birth were comparable between people who were giving birth with under chronic illness and people who were not, but there's still an increased likelihood of cesarean birth for people who are managing chronic illness. And that might be because of illness, or that might be because the medical staff is concerned about uh, other issues. Yeah, I guess so what I'm starting to hear is that one of the downsides is that choice could be taken away or be more limited depending on your condition. Right. And when people feel disempowered Mm -hmm. and are feeling limited and that the choices are not their own, they tend to have more stress. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. The picture is, is starting to be painted, so to speak, of some of the challenges in the dynamics. Another issue would be the potential for pre-birth hospitalization and how that might affect work or other children. Mm -hmm. Right. Constraints on themselves, their life, um, but their time. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And another concern would be around advocacy of medication and feeling whether or not your medication feels safe to you during pregnancy. Because you're thinking about, well, this is the medication that helps me stay in remission, but is it safe to the fetus? Right. I mean, then the relationship with the doctors is really important. Mm -hmm. Being able to kind of get information as you need it, being able to kind of trust them and that, you know, that they're hearing you. Yeah. And some areas have limited providers. Uh Uh-huh. Right. And then I guess that might also limit how much that provider either knows or what they can do about any particular condition. Right. Depending on their familiarity or their education. So for somebody who's coming in to a high-risk maternal specialist for the management of type 1 diabetes, for example, they may find more providers who are familiar with that Mm -hmm. than with something else that's more rare. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. That makes sense. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube. 
and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. So for the people who are a little bit more prevention inclined, they often report feeling safer though during that period of time because there are so many people looking and seeing what's going on in their records and checking it out and they have high contact and they often will talk about feeling adrift after the birth that like suddenly all these medical providers who are making sure that their health was okay and the baby's health was okay are really kind of gone and it's just the baby. People who tend to be more promotion focused often report feeling very over-medicalized and like they've been eager to be pregnant and they want to have the kind of pregnancy that they read about online, that they talk to people about, and instead they're going to lots of medical visits and they Mm. are being encouraged to have a birth in a hospital, for example, or a birth Mm. in a place with a NICU, and they are relieved to have less medical contact. Okay. Generally, anecdotally, yeah. So the promotion and prevention are kind of mindsets, so to speak, Mm -hmm. about how you want to be approaching your fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum. Right. And to know about yourself what's important. So if you are the kind of person who wants to advocate for like, I want to take risks, that's more of a promotion person, like I've got my eye on the prize, I'm trying to take risks, to feel empowered to communicate with the medical staff and change medical providers if you need to, Mm -hmm. so that you are feeling as heard as possible during Mm -hmm. pregnancy and during birth and afterward. Yeah. I mean, this is crucial. Yeah. And for prevention, people the same. Like, is this person really making sure that I'm safe? Really making sure that I'm safe? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. So yeah, I just keep in my mind going back to the relationship and kind of with the providers, but also who do you have around you that's supporting Mm -hmm. you that can help, you know, advocate with you if you need that. That seems like a really important factor. And who can support you. One of the things that comes up pretty frequently in all chronic illness management in the psychosocial part of it is not being sort of 
encouraged into positivity or like pushed into like, well, just it's better this way. Like the doctor will tell you the right thing to do, but instead to allow the person to have their ambivalence about it so that they can own the decision that they're making. Well, that makes perfect sense. But my guess is that that's not what happens all the time. It's not because sometimes people focus on the baby and not the person. They're like, for example, most people who are taking blood thinners have to move to heparin injections if they know that they're going to be getting pregnant during like preconception and during pregnancy and then postpartum. And if you are a person who, for example, is afraid of needles, what I hear from people is that other family members are like, well, yeah, but you got to think of the baby. Oh, sure. You're afraid of needles, but it's better this way because it's for the baby. And that may be true and is something, well, it is true and is something that the mother herself is thinking about. However, the way decisional balance works, right, is that if you push somebody on the teeter-totter one way, they go the other. They're going to start saying, well, what about me? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm the person who has to inject myself twice a day. Mm-hmm. And if you just leave them the space, yeah. Yeah. they already come to that. They've already got that knowledge. They just need yeah. grief. They need the space for the grief. Right. You just totally described like a current <laughs> situation. I'm like, uh, was she sitting in here with us? Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the shots yeah. and everything. And It's it, scary. It, it is. It is. Yeah. And yeah, the over focus on, well, this is what you're supposed to do. So do it. And just, right. you know, man. And the medicalization part, yeah. yeah, right? Like, well, you are, you need to do these, or um, I thought of another example, and this comes up postpartum in mm-hmm. terms of for medication, postpartum, even for psychotropic medication, right? Oh, like, yeah. well, right. you know, don't you stop breastfeeding, do mm-hmm. breastfeed, take this, take that. Like, to be able to remember that there is a person there and that that's not a person who's solely defined by pregnancy or chronic illness. Yes. Well, yeah. So I guess that is a great point. I think to highlight if you can is, I mean, you made me kind of shift into this whole like identity and identity shifts and what happens to that with kind of the, you know, if you're in a system that over medicalizes you, and you yourself are dealing with the diagnosis of whatever you're dealing with and, you know, the symptoms and all that, and then become pregnant or birthing or postpartum, then are you also dealing with multiple identity shifts? Absolutely. And those identity shifts are also impacted by the contact that you're having. So I will talk to clients who have one or two providers in this spectrum of providers that they have mm-hmm. who really get it and are supporting mm-hmm. them. And then they'll have a couple other providers. Like Because of the increased number of contacts, you've got more people who may not see you as an individual. Mm. So they're seeing the first the kind of medical condition, then that you're pregnant or... Some combination of that? Right. Well, some people are going to look at it as like if they're in the birth medical staff, like, okay, well, you're pregnant, so we're going to deal with pregnancy, right? If you're talking to your provider who has been managing your chronic illness or a person who you've never met before who does reproductive endocrinology, for example, and not just endocrinology, right, they're going to be focused on your sugars. Like, there's still a person in there who's got their own fears and their own worries and is shifting in identity to becoming a mother. And that kind of gets minimized for people. Well, right. Sure. And then they, I imagine, are internally also still, depending on the condition and the severity, how am I going to do both of these things, manage Mm -hmm. both of these things, both the condition 
and, you know, pregnancy and our new child, it's this whole other added layer of, well, really things to consider and not to put it lightly, but that sounds pretty stressful. Right. And there was actually a qualitative study in 2013. And what they found is that the parents, the mothers who had chronic illness were less afraid of childbirth Mm -hmm. and less concerned about childbirth than mothers who did not have chronic illnesses. And were also less concerned about fatigue because they were already used to living with fatigue due to the illness, but that they had a greater concern about how am I going to make all this work? Just what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, so these are really in terms of unique stressors for Mm -hmm. having a medical condition and pregnant birth postpartum conception. These are huge factors. This is the major stressor. And then if I can then assume that the likelihood of depression or anxiety is also higher? I believe it's slightly higher. Some studies have found it to be slightly higher. Some studies did not really find a difference. Most of the studies that I've read have said that it's slightly higher. What I notice in report, I mean, obviously I'm seeing more clients who are experiencing that. So depression or anxiety What I notice most is people managing feelings of anxiety and trying to differentiate between vigilance and hypervigilance. How do I know whether or not I am being vigilant because I have a lot of things to be vigilant about, not just Mm -hmm. whether or not the baby is sleeping, Mm -hmm. right? Or eating, which Mm -hmm. is something to be, you know, that we get concerned about. But also am I like having obsessive worry about my health, their health. Another uh, thing that people worry about is genetic transmission. Mm-hmm. Do I have a health mm-hmm. concern that my baby is going to have as well? And sometimes I'll talk to people like that they are watching their child for any kind of sign and they couldn't, there is nothing to see, but they're like, I'm looking at them. Mm-hmm. What do they seem like? Maybe they've got the same condition that I do or We all want to do the right thing to keep our bodies healthy, but sometimes even if we try really hard to eat all the kale salads and drink all the green smoothies, we're still most likely not getting all of the essential nutrients we need on a daily basis. For that reason, I've started to take the ritual vitamin. With our busy lives, a lot of stuff going on, it's really hard to stay on top, and honestly, there's only so many salads I can eat. So I've chosen to take a vitamin that I know is obsessively researched and has all of the nutrients I need. There's something really fun about taking the Ritual Vitamin, I think just because of how it looks, it's so cool. And somehow I can see that I'm doing something better for myself. Ritual is traceable and transparent. For obsessive label readers like me, all of Ritual's vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free ingredients and their sources are out there for the whole world to see. From the D3 to the Omega-3, Ritual's Essential for Women helps fill the gaps in a women's diet. Better health doesn't happen overnight, and right now Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off your first three months. Fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit ritual.com slash momandmind to start your Ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash momandmind. Huh. So again, I'm going to make an assumption about feeling like guilt around that. Yes. Some feelings of guilt and also feelings of really like that, especially the people who are preventive, like if I can be on top of this, then I will make sure that they get diagnosed in a more timely manner than I was. Oh, sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And that happens in mental health too. I mean, I I know somebody that I worked with who is concerned about their child potentially having bipolar disorder and you know, it's a baby. Like, so it's not something that you can diagnose. It was like this and helping normalize it. This is not, this is the baby acting like a baby. This is not a harbinger, right? right? They're worried that this is something that's to come. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's quite a bit to navigate and to manage. I mean, I hear too, that there's a lot of strength. They've certainly, if they've been dealing with something for a while, they have all these skills on how to navigate and how to take care of themselves, which is great. And then, yeah, they have all of these strengths. So what do you see to be the, some of the standout strengths of people who are dealing with medical conditions? I think one of the biggest strengths is the ability to reframe. And when I worked at the cancer center, one of the things we did, classic cognitive therapy, but it was in this bent called cognitive existential, logotherapy, or comes out of Viktor Frankl's work, like Man's Search for Meaning. Mm-hmm. And it is really about reframing your experience for purpose. How do I make this feel like the universe still cares about me? Mm. And that not like everything happens for a reason, but that I can find meaning behind it. And what I often hear people report is, I'm so grateful to my body. I'm used to my body not working. Here is my body working. And I had to go through this and meet this doctor and do that so that I could be at a place where I felt safe in having a baby. I had to wait till um, I wasn't having a flare and that was okay because now the baby's okay. So the ability to reframe difficult situations or even to reframe interactions with the medical environment where Mm -hmm. the doctor's not calling them back, they're less likely to go to, oh my God, they're not calling me back because they have something terrible to tell me, mm-hmm. they're more likely to be like, yeah, that's how doctor's offices are. Ah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, gotcha. right. So that sense of reframing and also the evidence of life progressing, like mm-hmm. this is okay. And look at something that my body can do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if somebody is hospitalized before birth due to blood pressure rising or sugars being out of control, we can have a little bit of regression on that. Like now my body isn't doing what it's supposed to do. And then usually we talk about that postpartum, like let's reset that belief to a belief that helps you find meaning and purpose. So meaning and purpose is sound like a key part of coping. Yeah. That this is a thing that is part of my life, but not my life. So chronic illness is something that happens in my life. This is something I have to manage, but I have learned how to reframe. I have learned how to have optimism and hope because of those experiences, because of that progress. And that ability helps them move more quickly, in my opinion, to reframing postpartum like, okay, so the baby is not sleeping. And that is the thing that I'm going to have to live with. That's, that's the baby's chronic condition right now. They do not like, or dealing with breastfeeding, like, okay, so this, I need to go see a specialist about this, or I need to talk Mm -hmm. to someone, or I need to use a nipple shield because they're like, well, that, you know, that's the way life is, that sometimes we need to make adaptations. Mm -hmm. And that meaning that it doesn't take anything away from their sense of who they are to access um, advice and information and help. Okay. Yeah, that makes so much sense that you have been through a number of things. So you have perspective to be able to draw on. 
Right. And you have history to be able to draw on to help you with that. So I'm curious a little bit about, you know, if there is a difference or what happens for people who are just finding out they have a diagnosis, let's say during pregnancy or postpartum, and then somebody who already has that condition. Well, I think a good example of that is people who are diagnosed with gestational diabetes, which of course we expect to resolve, versus people who knew that they had diabetes, diabetes 1 or diabetes 2 prior to pregnancy, that their understanding and integration of the management of their sugars is much more straightforward, where I see that people I've actually been seeing and who are diagnosed with gestational diabetes do feel, seem to feel more like it is a commentary on them and whether or not they're doing a good job during pregnancy. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And sort of the way that they report to me that it's communicated to them is about their effort. Uh-huh. Sometimes the people who are talking about chronic illness also get some of that feedback, but they, speaking of strength, are able to sort of push that back to like, I've already integrated my feelings of shame and my beliefs about myself, etc. And so they are less likely to see it as something they've done wrong versus unlike some assault to their identity as a parent. Like they're already looking at like, I'm going to be a parent who's going to be managing my sugar when I am postpartum, as opposed to people who are like, oh my God, I need to fix this right now. Mm -hmm. I did something wrong. I ate the wrong thing. What if this happens when, after I have the baby? Like, what if I like let down my guard? Mm-hmm. And so they tend to move more towards, when I was talking about vigilance and hypervigilance, they tend to, in my experience, move more towards hypervigilance mm-hmm. and really checking numbers and like also resistance, like yeah. or saying, I'm not going to do it at all, yeah. right? Again, talking about prevention and promotion, like they're like, I don't want you telling me what to do. Don't tell me I'm a bad mother already. And that belief, and I don't experience that as much with people who are like, yeah, we knew this was going to happen. Yeah, I knew I was going to have to do this. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. This is part of the deal. This Uh, is part of it. Right. uh, I want to have a kid. This is part of the deal. mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for that example. That's makes so much sense when you say it like that. That's gosh, if you're dealing with something already, it just kind of folds in, in a different way than, than having new information while you're already dealing with a new experience. And I think I've also noticed that a person who's been dealing with chronic illness for a longer period of time tends to be a little bit more comfortable accessing second opinions and other specialists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, because they've got an increased comfort often with having to do medical advocacy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It also makes me wonder, like, let's say for us who either don't have medical conditions and have never experienced anything like this or are in the position to be supporting people who have a medical condition, what are ways that we can better support them? I mean, yes, they could be their own advocates, but what can we do? I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're, Amy, more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. For people who are listening who are not clinicians, definitely some of the practical help aspects of thinking to being picking up medications for people helping with household tasks, offering childcare for appointments, or offering, because sometimes people don't want to leave their baby, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on how anxious they're feeling, or just generally, they don't know when they're going to need to eat again. Uh, Coming to appointments with them to be a second ear, to be the person who is writing down like what the doctor said. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's something that like in the cancer center, they highly advocate is having at least one other person because you feel flooded, right? And you're like so overwhelmed and hormones and everything else. And you might be in pain, like to have somebody else there who can write down the most important things. And the other thing I think for clinicians as well as for family members is what I mentioned before about not reframing to the positive Mm. nor minimizing. Like if someone says, I am feeling pain, I am really exhausted. And sometimes this comes up with couples work. Uh Like this is not necessarily the kind of pain or the kind of exhaustion that you yourself have experienced. Uh Right. It is beyond that. And you don't have to create a comparison or you don't have to understand it to be able to say like, tell me about that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Talk to me about that. What does that mean to you? I was mm-hmm. talking to someone once and we were talking about, you know, when you open, there's a button to open the door, you have kids, right? Like my kids mm-hmm. love to yeah, run yeah. up and hit the wheelchair accessible mm-hmm. buttons. Right. And that they had been in a local hospital and that the buttons were like not really, like you would have like a super fast motor to hit the button and still get all the way down the hallway to where the door oh, was. Oh gosh. Like, yeah. And that is like, I might go in there and see like, oh good, they've got a door that opens with the button. But I'm not thinking about like, what would that mean to hit that button and have crutches and try to get through. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to hear and believe those experiences and to sit with our own helplessness that we can't make it better. Yeah. And kind of like the circle of grief to move that out and not bring that back to the person. Mm -hmm. Right. You don't need to put that on the person who's having a hard time. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
right? If they don't really think, if, if for them talking about management of chronic illness is secondary to what's going on with their postpartum experience, then we don't talk about that. Mm -hmm. Like I'll say, hey, have you thought about the impact of that? And they say, oh, yeah, I did, or no, I didn't. And we talk about, but like, if someone says like, if this isn't the part of my identity, like that's not who I am right now, like that's not the part that's the most important for me to talk about, then right. to believe them. Right. So I think this is where our own kind of personal bias or misconceptions maybe about how another person is doing or should be doing considering their medical condition, that like we as people who aren't experiencing it are saying things to them based on our assumptions, right? our own assumptions. And sometimes if you just lovingly kind of keep your mouth shut and listen <laughs> and listen, um, you can hear from their perspective. Right. Sometimes when I'm talking to people, especially postpartum, they don't talk necessarily, they don't speak to their experience of their chronic illness for weeks afterwards or for weeks and weeks into meeting because it's there. Like, so I often think about it when we talk about, you know, that we talk about the self-care bucket, right? Like, mm -hmm. I like to conceptualize it a little bit differently, kind of like a not a very positive fundraising thermometer, right? So <laughs> if it keeps going higher, if the stressors are higher, just to acknowledge that like having chronic fatigue, chronic pain, chronic discomfort, having to keep in mind like, okay, I've got to make sure I have this medication, I have that, just continues to raise up that like sense of agitation and being unsettled and just to be aware of that. Yeah. Like yeah. that, that is, I guess either way I'm going to mix my metaphors, but like it's a slow leak, like, or it's a constant like increase in the thermometer that, you know, eventually hits your limbic system and like to be aware that it's there, mm -hmm. even if it's not the only or the predominant thing that is impacting you. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's great. I hope that, you know, people who are listening in here can really take all that in. I mean, it's just really, I think it's important for us. To, yeah. Yeah. I think for people who don't have medical conditions, it's just, it's one of those things. Like if you don't ever experience something, it's hard to know exactly what it's like, but listening to the experience of someone else that gives you the information you need. Right. Well, and also listening to what parts of it are impacting them, right? So yeah. I might look at chronic pain, right? And think, oh, it's the pain. Of course, it's like, because pain really impacts, like pain, yeah. nausea, mm -hmm. and fatigue are the three big things that if you don't stay ahead of them, if you can't stay ahead of them, can really kind of ramp up quickly. Sure. So I might go to that assumption like, oh, it's, it's pain, right? Mm -hmm. And that's partly based on my past experiences working in hospitals and seeing what happens for people when they don't have access to pain medication or they choose not to take pain medication for some very good reasons, mm -hmm. for example, breastfeeding, right? Yeah. And other reasons that, however, sometimes when I'm sitting with people and if I don't bring that forward, but instead say like, what were you thinking about when you were at the stoplight on the way in? Like, where does your mind go? People may talk about medication side effects. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? I was thinking about that this medication that I'm taking because it is considered safer for breastfeeding is seems, I believe, to be making my hair fall out more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah we, exactly. Making assumptions. It just makes everything harder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're way off. Right. <laughs> I mean, the truth is like, whether you have a chronic illness or not, the reality of pregnancy and birth and postpartum is not necessarily what we thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And the same is true if you have a chronic illness. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, great. This has been really, really useful information. And I'd love if you can leave us with any hopeful messages or thoughts for our listeners. Yeah, thank you. I think that one of the hopeful things that I see is that people are really have more access through the internet. I know that like internet health related things for good reasons gets kind of a bad rap. However, the information and the community that can be found online, especially if you don't live in an area where there are a lot of people who are managing the same chronic illness that you do and pregnancy can be very normalizing to see like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is a thing that I'm dealing with this. There are other people who have done this. Some of them are going to have like super stories. Some are going to have horror stories, but in the middle, there are other people who are doing this. They're doing it successfully and I can continue to be myself and also manage having a baby, having children and being pregnant and this chronic illness. And I see the internet as having so much potential for that normalization and that sense of empowerment. Yeah, absolutely. I'm hopeful that this episode and all that you've shared with us will add to that hopefulness and empowerment because, you know, once we have this information and we know a little bit more deeply about how we can support people going through this, it's better for us and it's better for them. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. For you, the listeners of Mom and Mind Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Some of the books I've listened to from Audible are Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero, and Down Came the Rain by Brooke Shields. You can pick one of those books or any other book you'd like to listen to. To download your free audiobook today, go to www.audibletrial.com slash momandmind. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash momandmind for your free audiobook. Thank you again so much, Jenna, for bringing some perspective to all of us. Certainly for those of you who have a chronic medical condition, I really hope that we touched on some things that are important for you that you really want to make sure people understand. If you guys would like to get connected with Jenna, you can go to jennadailylcsw.com or find her on her Facebook page at Grounded Parent. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mom and Mind. We would love to have you as a subscriber and please do share this as far and as wide as possible so that everybody who needs this information can have it before they need it. That's it for today. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com.
Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.